Hello, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren with Hidden, a true crime podcast. As a TV reporter, I learned the art of visual storytelling. So if you're like me, you enjoy listening, but also viewing. You can actually head to our YouTube channel, Hidden True Crime, to watch these interviews. Hit the subscribe button for surprise lives and breaking news. And for exclusive content, things Dr. John and I only dare say behind a paywall, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash hidden true crime. You'll find bonus episodes, early releases, and insider info. Thank you for your endless support. I I wanted to share this part of my story because I... Um, Again, I don't, I don't owe anyone an explanation as to why I left the church. Um, but I do want people to maybe have an understanding, um, especially in a place like Rexburg, where it's so highly LDS. And I know there are others who are in my same position. And I will say up front, if you are worried about hearing some of the things I might say, maybe information you are not aware of, maybe don't listen to this because um, what I learned devastated me. I would never, um, I've described it as I would love to shout all of this from the rooftops and at the same time, never speak a word of it because um, it's devastating. So um, after you know, COVID was lifted, restrictions were lifted. Um, I chose not to go back to church. I did, I think one or two times and I felt extremely uncomfortable being there. People I've heard had the impression that it was just, I didn't want to see Chad's kids at church. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to see anyone because of Chad's stuff. Um, that had to do with it in the beginning but by the time restrictions were lifted and I wasn't going back it wasn't that um, I think people realized once those kids were found and Chad was arrested um, like I said some people reached out and just you know we're sorry that we supported him um, so that kind of you know took care of itself but I do want to just like I said I'm going to share this here I'm going to share it on one other podcast and then I'm done and thank you we have those who are LDS and those who are not LDS we have such a wide variety of listeners and I value that about our podcast that it can be a safe place for everyone so this is going to be Heather's journey out of the LDS faith and Again, we're honored that you're sharing that with us. And so if this is difficult for anyone, thank you for that disclaimer. Yeah, it, it may be difficult for some, don't listen, but I know that there are others who are going through or have had, and and I, if I can help anyone, um, then it's worth me sharing. When we dare to share our truths, we do always help people who are in a similar situation. So thank you. So that's my intention. It is not to hurt people. It is not to, um, I don't hold anger toward members of the church. I hold anger toward the church leaders, um, meaning Salt Lake headquarters. 
okay. those who've been in the past church leaders. Um, I think local leaders, the ones that I worked with, I think they just do what they've been trained to do and need to stay in line. And um, so when there's a few reasons, so all this stuff starting with Chad, um, again, very devout member, when all this was going on, I felt he was very off track, all of that stuff. Um, did write the letter to the con the women of the congregations in our stake. That, that was linked to court to TV. Court TV. Mm -hmm. I wonder by who. Yeah. So, um, but I did get a, a lot of people reached out to me and just said, thank you for what you said. And I feel a lot differently now about most things that I said in that letter. Right. That letter, it talked about your uh, faith in the church and that you don't have all the answers, but you know that Christ loved everyone and you were writing a letter of reassurance, I would call it, to the women uh, that you were leaders, you were a leader over. Was that yeah. a good way to yeah. explain it? Yeah. And that Chad, because this was, I think this was m more far reaching than some want to admit as far as who was meeting in homes and kind of buying into Julie Rowe and Chad Daybell and Eric Smith and all that stuff in yeah. the area. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's three main reasons that I left. Um, one, I have a child who came out to Matt and I that he's gay. Um, that was about five years ago. He, anyone that knows my family and knows my children, I have phenomenal children. I don't take any credit for that. They came pretty amazing. This child in particular is as good as they come. People that know him know that. So to have him express to me the struggles that he was having and had had for years since he was young, it explained a lot of things. I explained a lot of things. So I was grappling with that five years ago yeah. in how to make that work in the LDS faith, whose doctrine it is that if you are gay or part of the LGBTQ community, you, unless you live alone and celibate your whole life, you are not worthy to go to the temple. So you understand that if you don't go to the temple and make those covenants, you forfeit your opportunity for the celestial kingdom. That is the doctrine. I've had a lot of people try to tell me that isn't the doctrine. Yes, it is. That is the doctrine. We have church leaders in Salt Lake, Dallin Oaks in particular, who reinforces that every general conference and whenever he can. So I was grappling with that. Um, I get put in the stake Relief Society presidency. Um, Again, I don't fault the state president in any way. He's a good man. 
his counselors are good men. But when I got put into that calling, one of the first things we were asked to do was provide a dinner for all the mission presidents, all the stake presidents, their wives in the area. Our stake was asked to host that. So luckily, my secretary is, she does weddings, she's interior design, she, that's her thing. She saved us. So we get this whole big dinner put together. And I happened, I already had something scheduled. I wasn't going to be in town. So did everything I could, could to get that put together. And then I wasn't at the event because I was out of town. But my counselors and my secretary were. Again, the state president is, is a good man. I think he was just doing how it's always been done. He approached my counselors and my secretary and told them they were to stay in the kitchen. They told me that after the fact that did not sit well with me. They are there doing you this huge favor yeah. under a calling. They so don't get so paid. Free. This is free. This was a big event and they got told to stay in the kitchen. They said amongst themselves, you know what? If Heather was here, she has every right to be in that meeting if yes. she wanted to be in that meeting. So I was kind of glad I hadn't been there. Had that been said to me, that would not have gone well. Um, because the, the way that women are, again, it depends on the leaders, the way that women are treated um, in this benevolent patriarchy um, is so inappropriate. Um, and that's something that I've always had an issue with as a woman. Again, I was raised in a matriarchal home. Um, me, my sisters, we speak our minds as it should be. So I have never done well with the structure of the church to be in, like I've said, I've been in a lot of presidencies, been president, been all that stuff. And to have, here's a good example Years ago when we lived in Nevada, Matt's boss became our bishop. So that was hard. Mm, yeah. I was called at eight months pregnant with my third child as primary president. Oh, my gosh. And our bishop slash boss, so there's a power dynamic for you, wow. said to me, I, don't, I didn't want to do this. I went back to the Lord a couple times. I didn't want to make you do this calling, but you're the one. And my very obedient self was like, yep, you never say no to a calling. So, of course, I'll do it. Then I went home and sobbed my eyes out. Because the reason he was a new bishop, he was called new bishop, is because they'd split the wards. So they mixed everything up. They divided the geographical location and divided the congregations. So the majority of this new ward, I didn't even know these people. It vacated every calling in, I was made the primary president, vacated every calling. Primary has a lot of callings. I think it was like 23, 26 callings that I had to, we had to fill as a presidency in a month before I had my baby. Primary president is in charge of every child in the congregation while you're about to have your third baby. This is when most women in the United States are preparing for maternity leave 
and you just got called to a massive job. So it's like saying, hey, by the way, you can't take maternity leave for your third child. You're about to um, take on a major, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily I had fantastic counselors, secretary that I became very good friends with. They were a huge support to me. Um, So we took it very seriously. We prayed, we tried to get direction, we all of those things to fill these callings. Every time we turn a list in, here's how what we feel. No, that won't work. Go back. What? Wait, we are we really are working hard and feel that we're inspired to have this person or this person. It finally got to the point I just said, you do what you're gonna do. You're so gonna- you were doing what you were asked to do, which is fill these responsibilities and then the bishop would say no because no. because they're doing it with for a whole ward so they know where they're wanting to put people and it just felt like such a game it's like and i go home and crying to matt and i was like we're wasting our time it's like he's trying to have me guess who i who do you want and then so it was very very frustrating and nothing he's also my husband's boss so Anyway, that's just an example in one calling of many that I've had. Um, just where you feel like you're really putting your heart and soul into something, and but you're just, you're not quite, you're not up there. You really aren't making any decisions. So that's always been a, an issue for me. Being in the stake calling, having that first event happen, then there was a couple other like that where I needed to get sandwiches. And, and I finally sat down with the state president and I said, why am I here? I'm not a kitchen maid. Anyone can order sandwiches for you. That, put a food committee together. Why am I here? They, our presidency has more to offer than just food. And to his credit, he agreed. He's like, you know what, you're right. So he started involving us more. And there were some, you know, we put on, we really were only in those callings for a solid year before COVID hit. So we put on, you know, a steak event. We did a couple of things. Um, I did get to um, speak in our ward conferences um, before COVID hit. So, and that, I had a lot of good feedback that that was important to people. So, it's funny to me that actually having that state calling helped me leave. When I'm in a state council, which consists of a whole high council, that's like, how many people is that? I can't remember how many they would call, like 15, yeah. is it a quorum, 12, I don't remember. All men. And then you've got the state presidency and then you have like the guy doing the notes. So there would be up to like 17 men in that meeting and three women, the three presidents, you know, primary and women's relief society. And if, if those women didn't feel like sharing anything, which sometimes they didn't, it was no voice for women. I always, I always spoke up because that I thought if, if we get this little chance, I'm taking it. So anyway, it just became more blatantly clear how the word just is inappropriate. It's not the way this should work anymore. And and I voiced that to the state president, and he 
you know, and he'd say things like, we know the church really runs by the way, you know, they're the ones doing the work. And, and that just felt patronizing, you know, yeah, we do know that, but no one's, no one will say out loud how wrong this is. Um, so anyway, that was an issue um, in that calling amidst everything going on with Chad and not feeling heard by leaders about Chad. Um, I did mention earlier talking about discernment to our state president. Once the kids were found, Matt and I did meet with our bishopric as a whole. We wanted to meet with all of them. Matt and I did that. And, you know, they all they could say, you know, we're so sorry. This is so awful. You know, all of those things. And I was able to voice there too. You guys sat next to him in bishopric meetings. Did you not get any kind of vibe? You're sitting next to a guy who's now accused of murder. Anything? Stirring you? Anything? And one of the counselors did say, that does bother me. No. Nothing. So again, it just made it very clear. This whole thing, and I trusted that. I've been taught my whole life this, this discernment, this spirit, this added measure of information that leaders get became very clear to me. No, they don't. Not in this situation. It's pretty extreme. I think if God wanted them, God could have told them, there's some bad stuff going on here. So that was, they call it a shelf breaker. You know, you put things on the shelf. You put things on the shelf. That was when it just became very clear. You guys don't know any more than I do. Um, well, I would say you know more. Yeah, strangely, as a woman, I could pick up on a few things. So there was that. So my son, you know, he's gay. I'm trying to figure that out. The state calling's not happening for me. And I, you know, and I, I even met with our state president and I told him about my son, told our bishop about my son. All the bishop really could say was, this is cruel and it'll get harder. That's what that's what he they said. admitted that this, this is cruel because they can't figure it out either. And, and they know your son and they know your they son. Know him. That's what they know. And they him. love him. Mm -hmm. He was the chorister in sacrament meeting. He plays the piano beautifully, plays the cello. He, here was another one. He's a, um, he, they called him to the stake, like be a family historian. David Bednar, one of the apostles of the church, said, and I took this literally. I was, I was very literal in a lot of things. He said, if you get your kids involved in family history work, pornography and all that won't even be a temptation. Wasn't the case. My son was doing all kinds of family history work. I had no idea what he was struggling with on his own, all by himself. So promises made by church leaders that I took literally and was doing everything asked, and then some, was not panning out. So there's a lot involved in here that I'll just skip over. But um, it was, I asked to be released from my calling. Um, fall of 2020 and was released 
at that point, I, it was just, I, I was trying to make my son being gay work in the LDS setting because I still believed that the church was true. I was trying to make it work, but didn't feel like I could genuinely get up and teach about gospel principles anymore. The following January, still with no way of supporting my son in an LDS context, there was nothing for me. State president had nothing. When I met with the state president um, and explained my son, I, I said to him point blank, could you live alone and celibate your whole life? And he said, no, I couldn't. I said, I know Matt couldn't. That's not even like a mentally, that, that's not even an option. Like, like choose that just so you can try to get to heaven. It didn't make any sense. And as I would talk with him, you could tell it, he was struggling with that too. How do you make that work? So January, this is 2021, I get online. I'm trying to find somewhere, something to help my son. And I hear, I know there's this group affirmation that's for LGBTQ people. I, you know, that it's associated with the church. The only thing that I could find that maybe would have something that was safe in an LDS context, get on there. I'm looking at things. Okay. This might be an option somewhere in the comments of somewhere on that page. Someone referenced the book of Abraham not being true. And that's the pearl of great price. It's the LDS faith. That the LDS faith in their canon of scripture, that's one of them, that it's these plates that off papyri, some Egyptian papyri that Joseph Smith got from a guy traveling the area, and that he translated that papyri into the book. It was the book of Abraham, literally the book of Abraham. And there's diagrams and stuff like that. I had no idea what this was talking about. So it talked, it referenced these um, gospel topic essays on the church website. So I thought, oh, great, I can go there. It's on the church website. It'll be okay. I read that essay and about pooped my pants. I couldn't believe what I was reading that they were now saying, you know, this wasn't a literal translation of the book of Abraham in now that we know actual Egyptian language and they can't, that the papyri that exists is a funerary text. Funeral document. It yeah. is nothing to do with Abraham. That and you're reading this on the LDS church on website. The gospel topic essays on the LDS website. So then I read all the other essays. There's one on polygamy, which I always hated polygamy. That was one that I never could settle in my brain. And it references, yeah, Joseph Smith had 30 plus wives and, and some were sisters and some already had husbands. And I, this was all news. Did not know any of this. Um, that just started. Did you think polygamy was something that started in Salt Lake City with Brigham Young? Or? Yeah. I, yes, it was that Brigham Young, you know, that Joseph Smith had talked about it, but that you know, Emma wasn't really on board. And so it just kind of, they waited and then Brigham Young did his thing in Salt Lake. Um, so that was devastating. 
and then to learn about the rock and the hat. And that's something, you know, tr- Joseph Smith. The Urim and Thummim. Yeah. I, you know, you see the pictures of the Urim and Thummim on the glasses. It's all a weird story anyway. But then to hear, no, he actually put a, a peep stone or his, a seer stone in his top hat and put his face in that. And that's how he was getting words. So it wasn't an actual translate. It just, I was like, what religion have I been a part of my whole life that I knew nothing about? So that just started a whole, I researched day in, day out, day in, day out for months and months and months, trying to convince myself that what I'd given my entire life to was still somehow true. Been lied to. I knew that they'd covered things up. They had changed things that twisted things. But wait, that I gave my whole life to this. God wouldn't let me be deceived this way. I tried so hard to make it work. Until one night, Matt was laying next to me. I was reading a document called a letter to my wife, similar to the CES letter, which kind of contains all this stuff. I had read the CES letter and I think I was still in a state of this can't be true. This can't be true. This can't be true. But when I read this letter to my wife and it shows that, that it was about the temple ceremony, the temple was my second home. I was in that temple once a week. I volunteered in the temple for a couple of years. You said earlier you wanted a college for your children and a temple. Close by. Um, And I was going to be a temple worker once my kids were all in school and I, you know, all of that stuff. So when I'm reading this document and it shows comparing what's done in the temple compared to Freemasonry ceremony and that Joseph Smith had done had become a Freemason just weeks before he created the endowment ceremony. Matt was next to me. I physically, I had a physical reaction. I was shaking. It was like my heart broke. It just broke my heart to realize it's not real. None of this was real. Something that I was trying to make work for my gay son that was killing him wasn't even real. And that's when I right then knew I am no longer a part of this. Matt knew it. He watched, he said, I watched you. I watched that leave you. This was done for you. Um, so I, I've never been back to church since other than my youngest son spoke in sacrament meeting. I went and listened to him and it was grueling to sit there in the sacrament meeting. So for those that, again, I, I attribute it, what I, and the interesting thing, cause I used to, you know, Chad was so off track in his, his teachings and his little group and Eric Smith is full of it and all that. But as I researched, I found where they got that stuff, multiple probations, all Joseph Smith 
talked about that. It, they were going, what they were doing was going back to the fundamental LDS church. Because the church today is not at all like the church as Joseph Smith. Julie Rowe kind of is going down that route a little bit too. She's not part of the LDS church anymore and speaks out against it. But then she'll say she still believes in Joseph Smith and that the LDS church is lying. And, and I went to the firm expo in uh, the spring that I still haven't really fully discussed with everyone, but I was really trying to grasp, right? What, what is it that sets the firm expo apart from it, it's the new prepare. It's preparing to people, right? It's just that they've kind of divided. It's preparing to people and some people there believe in multiple probation. Some people don't. So, so what is it? And I would say the overall take is it's, very religious, devout LDS people who believe that the mainstream LDS church has been led astray mm -hmm. and they're trying to go back to the roots, to go back to the roots. whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. Although people disagree with what that is, mm -hmm. I would say they're just, yeah, just the extreme religious. Yeah. So, uh, so what you're saying, I, I see that. Yeah. You know, so validated. That's, that's where, so when I'm learning about the different accounts of the first vision and when, you know, the story we get told of Joseph Smith has this first vision, he goes home, tells his mom blah, blah, of God and Jesus, God Christ, and Jesus Christ appearing to him. That didn't play out the way we're taught. Very different. And there's different accounts. And there, so as I'm learning that, like I said earlier, there were some very clear parallels between what Joseph Smith did with his story and what Chad did with his story. And so when John's mentioned, you know, you can tell yourself something long enough and it becomes real to you. It really happened. That's the conclusion that I came to with Joseph Smith. But ultimately, and I've expressed it because I'll say my husband and three of my four children are still believing members. Matt, I would say, is very nuanced. He doesn't buy everything like he used to. The women not having um, decision-making opportunities and things in the church he does not agree with and never really has. Um, the polygamy part, you know, where Joseph Smith, um, I there's a lot of information on that. And I went through everything I could find. Um, I don't believe that a man can be called as a prophet and then treat women as he did. As and, Joseph Smith did. As Joseph Smith did in manipulating and coercing and threatening eternal damnation if they didn't agree and all of that stuff. That doesn't, that's not from God. So when I could finally say to myself, that didn't come from God. And I could let that go. I could finally breathe. It's like, okay, that's something I don't have to worry about that anymore. Cause it was always, I did a Facebook post about it. It was always, um, a concern of mine. You felt a weight lift. I felt a weight lift because I'd always been afraid if I died first, that if Matt got remarried, he would get sealed to that woman and I would be in a polygamous marriage. Oh, wow because that is the doctrine. Our prophet today has two women he is sealed to. 
in his belief and the church's belief when he dies, they are both his wives. On the flip side, a good example, and this is another thing that bothered me forever. My mom, my dad passed away when I was nine. He had cancer. My mom wanted to remarry to a man who had never been married. So he's never been sealed to someone. At that time, 38 years ago, you could get sealed for time, but not eternity. And um, that there was no, there at that time, there was no policy that they could be sealed after they were gone. That's the policy today. Wow. So my mom and dad, on complete faith, my dad especially, my stepdad, took on his wife and her four children. I was the oldest of four little kids. At that time, knowing he would never be sealed to her. That's changed over the years. Once they're both gone, we could have them sealed together. And then my mom has to choose who she'll be with. This always felt so wrong to me. And I would talk about it with my mom. And my parents are just very faithful and said, it'll all work out. That's the only answer you get. It'll all work out. That's, that's, a, that's what I've heard. You know, you just God will take the care process of it. And mm -hmm. God will take care of it. It'll all be worked out. But that just never felt right. And I would say to them, if it's, if you can be sealed once you're both gone, why can't you be sealed now? That's such a, and then in an LDS <laughs> faith, that's that can be so helpful to know that you're sealed together and you're you know they would love that but that's denied them because it was my dad that died and she's a woman and there's no reason for it and so if it had been swapped and your mother had died mm -hmm. and your father had gotten remarried that wouldn't be the case he could be sealed to another woman so because of that in my own family and even and my mom and dad my mom's stepdad had two more kids Together, those kids are sealed to my dad, not their own biological father, because the ceiling is under my biological dad, not their own. Not, that's bothered them. They don't even know my dad. They know their dad. So none of it made sense. And I would say to Matt, please, if, you, if I die first, go ahead. If you get remarried, that's fine. Just don't get sealed. Don't get sealed. And you'd say, well, what if she's never been sealed? I'm going to be a, a jerk about it. I don't care. Not my issue. I don't want to yeah. share you in heaven. After what you've gone through in your uh -huh. life. Yeah. So anyway, those are things that have always been really big problems for me that I just tried to be faithful. So when I find out all this stuff about church history, and I, I did not take it lightly. I researched. I did a lot of research. And just came to the conclusion that this is not what I thought it was. As soon as I could say that this isn't true, all of my devastation concerning my gay son was gone. It was gone. I could finally breathe again. That, that weight, all the weight over the years was gone. And I, I have struggled with anxiety and depression my whole adult life. Been on medication, been I, all my adult life. The last couple of years, as I've just let these things go, 
because I don't, I don't think they're real. I don't think they're legitimate. I'm not on medication anymore. I'm not this anxiety ridden, depressed person. Do I get angry? Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. Do I, am I sad sometimes because I gave up so much of my time, my talents, my money to a church I discovered isn't true. So that's what's been going on in our family the last year and a half, two years that people not seeing me at church are attributing to this is all about Chad is a little bit about Chad. This was a, this was a, our own family thing. And we, I think are through the worst of that. It, probably if you mentioned that three of your children are still believing, still believing. that that is likely a heartbreaking thing for them to watch you, or am I making that up? Oh no, that was for each, even my, my gay kiddo to have such a devout mom. Cause I was the one, okay, I'm, I'm up for scripture study before you guys are up and then you get up and we're doing scripture study. And then we did all the things. Wow. I would go to the temple. I used to go once a month, but then when president Nelson would say, Hey, get to the temple as often as you can. Okay. What does that mean for me? Okay. I guess I can go once a week. So I would up it and up it and up it. And, and this is how you raised your children. And then once they're raised, you're shifting once they're raised. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and they're, they're figuring it out for themselves. Um, what feels right to them and what doesn't, they do have a brother that's gay that they love with all their heart. That's true. That's gotta be a conflict for a lot hard. of them. Um, so they're doing their own thinking and working through things. Um, I just got to a point where I couldn't continue. Um, if I stayed with the church and Matt, if he was sitting here would say, he just said it the other day, if you were to go back to church, it would destroy you. And he said, I can't support that. That's a beautiful supportive thing to say to you. And again, he's going through his own experience and his own journey and how he feels about things. And he's, I would say, very nuanced. He goes to church once a week. Um, my youngest son is leaving on a mission next month. To serve for two years. Serve for two years. The only way I can deal with that is because of the kind of son I have. I'd, I'd call him nuanced too. Um, because he has said, you know what? I love my brother that's gay. I don't get this. I'm going to teach this the way I feel I should teach this. And if it's a problem for someone, send me home. He's going to do it on his terms. And, and he's promised me, I said, my, the only way I can send you off is if you promise me that you go, he's going to go to New Zealand, Wellington, New Zealand. Wow. It's a really cool place. You go with the attitude of you're going to learn from them. Beautiful. Don't go as an 18-year-old kid and say, I've got information you need, and it's the only way that you can get back to God. That's beautiful. There's so much to learn from other people. Right. To go and have all the answers, go to learn. That's go beautiful. to learn. Learn from them. Learn from their culture. Just there's a lot that you can, that you can gain. For what, a, what a beautiful piece of advice from his mother. 
it's the only one I could give. Don't, I said, don't call people to repentance. Not your place. Um, there's a woman in our ward who I admire that she, she feels a lot like I do in different things, but she's choosing to stay in the church to help make change. Um, one thing that she has said is there are as many ways to get back to God as there are people. Our church is not the only way to do that. So that's kind of the attitude that my son has, and he's hopefully he has a good experience. Um, it's going to be, it's hard enough to send a, a child on a two-year mission. It really was devastating to to send my first son off to New York City. Um, completely different when you don't believe in why they're going. So, mm -hmm. At least they've changed it where I can talk to them every week. They changed that right at the end of my first son's mission, that I can hear his voice every week. And, um, and he'll... I believe he'll be honest with me and how things are going. A quick word from our sponsor, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren and Minnie have been asking where I shop. And so I am finally coming clean with my wardrobe hack. I rent most of the clothes I wear. I love having new clothes each month and I dislike doing laundry. So renting from Armoire is a win-win. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you build the perfect wardrobe with high quality brands just for you. You take the five minute style quiz and select items from your personalized closet delivered straight to your door in as little as two days. And then when you're ready for new clothes and ready for someone else to do your laundry, you just swap them out for fresh styles. Armoire allows me to always have the perfect outfit, and then I send it back for more. Right now, our gems can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash hidden true crime. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash hidden true crime to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So that helps me. So that's kind of where we're at in, um, in our family. And I, I do, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I do post about um, the LGBTQ community. I do, I post about things because I want people to understand, you know, I have my, my parents, and my siblings um, know that I've left and um I'm the oldest of six, three of us have left, three of us have not. Um, it was hard on my parents because um, I was very, again, I was very, very devout. It was hard, but they also know their grandson who was gay and they understand that how hard that is to make that work in, I think in their own brains, but especially in mine as his mom, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Um, you know, and they all the information about the history of the church, all that stuff. They, I, you know, whatever, I don't know what they've looked at. Sure. Um, but they're in a state stage in their life where it's been good for them. Um, don't have all the answers to all the questions, but they're good where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I respect that if it's good for you. Um, but I will say if I'm very, very honest, and I've had this conversation with Matt many times, it is hard for me to understand how people can stay, continue to pay tithing to and support a church who knowingly hurts people. And that's where I was saying before, I can't, I, so even, you know, when I talked to Matt, I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know how you believe this anymore because it hurts one of your children. It hurts me. And so that's what he's grappling with. And so, you know, I I said, but even at this point, if they all of a sudden, yeah, gay people are just like all the rest of us. And if they can go to the temple, they can get married, all that stuff. And women here, you can have a priest. You know, I'm too little, too late. So I bring this up because I was the Stake Relief Society president when I mentally was done. Wow. Um, Again, a very big leadership calling. It's a, it's a highest a calling as a woman can get yes. unless you're on the board or like in the, and you're in Salt Lake city. If, if you're in Salt, yeah, the step beyond being the stake release society president would be being a leader in Salt Lake city mm-hmm. in, the in the general leadership, yeah. which if you look when they have the little charts in the, the, I don't even know what they call the magazine anymore, Leah Hone or whatever of all of the general leaders. And it's row after row after row of men this little box down here of women, um, that little box is really all that's left. And you have to be in Salt Lake. You have to be in that area. 
Um, so that's how, that's how devout I was. And, um, even to the point of, as I've done my research, as I've been in therapy, it was, I think I would fall under the category of religious scrupulosity where I was a bit obsessive with it. Okay. Um, because so beyond, beyond devout, beyond devout, if you told me, so here's an example, you know, there's fast Sunday, first Sunday of every month, they want you to fast, miss two meals, pay your fast offerings. Um, we paid a lot in fast offerings. And I got to the point of, you know what, if I do it once a month, great. But what if I do it every week? Yeah that's going to get me more in tune. That's going to get me, you know, more blessings. That's so you're going extra. I was doing a beyond what was asked. The interesting thing to me again, in Matt, you know, in my home temple pictures, Christ pictures, it, you know, it was very religious home. It's been interesting having left now to have people say to me, you just took it way too seriously. Or Matt saying, yeah, our house was really kind of uber religious. Nobody said that to me then. Nobody said, hey, maybe you're taking this too serious. I was always told what a spiritual giant I was and how devout I was. And it was a good thing. You were made the Stake Relief Society president. Mm -hmm. So no one had an issue with it or a concern until I left. And now that you've left, that's your, that's their reasoning. Yeah. You just took it too seriously. Really? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me that when I yeah. was yeah. doing it? So I guess, you know, again, going back to my intent and even, and, and it's so much, there's so much to this. Um, again, I, I did so much research and anyone that who has gone through this process, they'll say the same thing. I did so much research. I have researched this stuff to death. What, you know, I, the temple thing, all that stuff um, really broke me when I learned of the second anointing, that stuff that I won't get into that. If someone wants to know what that is, they can look that up and research it themselves. Um, but it's real. It is. Yes. Um, that is real. People in higher positions receive a second anointing. Mm -hmm. Which essentially guarantees them the celestial kingdom. Right. I didn't know people could do that. I just thought Christ could do that, but I was wrong. Um, so that one was really hard. But the general conference that the prophet Russell Nelson talked to the doubters and called them lazy learners and lax disciples. Um, those that leave or those that doubt are lazy learners and lax disciples. He was talking to me. You're just a lazy learner mm -hmm. when you've just said yourself that you that were a scriptorian. Mm -hmm. That's what I have found in different groups and things that I'm in of people that have left. They, it's very similar to my experience where they researched and researched and researched and it was not taken lightly typically they were very devout like myself because i i i'm a big proponent of honesty um don't lie to me 
don't twist things. Don't deceive me. You're direct. You're a direct person. Yeah, we've seen that in the interview. So you want people to be that same way for you? I, I demand that of myself. I'm not going to lie to you. Don't lie to me. And if you do, I am your someone I no longer trust. And that's what happened with the church. I no longer trust its leaders who I once revered. I don't trust them. And it ultimately got to where and kind of where I am now is even with God. I trusted God that I was on the right track. Now that I find that I wasn't, where were you, God? Where were you? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you why didn't you let me know Joseph Smith did all this stuff? Why didn't you where were you? Um so I don't even trust that anymore. I have learned to trust my own instinct and my own gut. Because it's not really led me wrong when I've listened to my own gut. It's when I did some overriding and I trusted someone else, trusted that all this stuff with sealing practices and how women are treated and all that stuff, just overriding that all the time. Um, when I when I gave that up to someone else, I I shouldn't have given that up to someone else. So I call myself a very happy and hopeful agnostic, meaning I don't know. I don't know. None of us really know. You can choose to believe in God and whatever helps you, but for me now at this point and and it can evolve and change but i i find greater happiness in not knowing and saying i have my tattoo here gonna bring it up i said it reminds me of your tattoo yeah my tattoo says whatever will be will be and that's what my grandma smith would say to me when I was in high school and growing up when I'd get freaked out about things, should say, Heather, whatever will be, will be. It'll be okay. And that's where I'm at now is I don't need all the answers. Um, I'm going to believe the way that my heart feels best. And that as is as um, no longer um, an LDS member. Um, I would love at this point to remove my name from the records and resign completely. I haven't done that out of respect for my believing members of my immediate family. um, For your children. For my children. And uh, Matt did say to me the other day, he's like, what if, what if you do these interviews or what if you say something on social media that gets you in trouble? And like they threaten to excommunicate you. And I said, I know they do that. I don't think they are going to do it as much anymore. They're excommunicating a lot of folks. Um, Matt And Matt said, I'd rather you resign than that happen. And I said, mm, no, I don't think my state president would do that to me. Um, he would only do that to me if told. Um, but I said, I... I would make them do that 
because to me, it makes no difference. It doesn't hurt me and my whatever happens after this life. But in their minds, they're separating me knowingly and intentionally from my family. If they want to live with that, they can live with that. I'm going to put that on them. Don't think they'll do that. But if they do, that, that's what I'm saying. It's another way they hurt people. They separate families and hurt people in their minds. So I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm going to speak up. Um, if people are in the same, in that process, have discovered information they didn't know and it's devastating them and they're going through that process. I'm through the worst of that. And I am, would be more than happy to talk with people, just give support, um, especially in Rexburg, Idaho, where I know there's people that feel like I do, mm-hmm. but they don't say anything. Again, over 90% of the population is LDS. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult place to, because there's a lot of inactive people there. There's, you know, that don't go to church. It's a really difficult place to have been such a believing member and then not be like I am. I also have a hope since the beginning of this case, I know that those many who are LDS, um, who definitely are uh, very upset at what Chad and Lori did and how they represent their faith will quickly jump to saying this has nothing to do with the LDS faith. And I understand people who want to jump to that. I disagree with that. Uh, and I think that your, this whole interview has shown that it has, that's not true. But I, I have, you know, and I'm idealistic, but I have this hope and this desire that, that if we can continue to be a safe space at Hidden True Crime, that those who are LDS and those who aren't LDS and those who are angry at the LDS church and those who want to protect the LDS church, that perhaps, you know, and again, this is my idealistic brain, that we can all just not judge as much and just work on understanding one another rather than feeling like we have to protect our own beliefs and our own views and our own way of thinking. Let's just work to understand one another. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that, that I will post about is that we are making that happen in my own little family. Matt and I, I think our marriage has improved immensely since I have left because the whole dynamic of priesthood and all that's gone. Um, But we're making it work in my family. We all see things a little bit differently. And, um, and again, I'm not, don't get me wrong. This has been, it was devastating for my family, but we're learning how to do just what you said. It's, I'm respecting my son that wants to go on a mission. Is it hard? Really hard. But I love my son. Would it be easier for him if his mom was all on board and he was going on his mission knowing that mom was praying for him and all of that stuff? Yeah, I would. It'd be a lot easier for him. 
but he'll say, it's not where you are, mom. And we see things differently, see a lot of things the same. And we've, we've got to do what we feel is best individually. That's beautiful. And you're teaching your children to be true to themselves. And that's a beautiful lesson. Be true to yourself. And that is one thing I've learned a lot about is differentiation in families and that the decisions I make as an adult person are not a reflection on my mom or not a reflection on my dad. It's not a reflection of your lazy learning. No. And they know that's not true. They know I'm very, I know that's not true in these things. And again, I think that's, you know, to stop labeling people, that's another. Stop labeling people. And that's where I feel I am a better human being, is that I no longer categorize people as, oh, they're gay, or oh, they're that, or oh, they're, I don't do that anymore. It is interesting to me that the values that Christ taught of loving your neighbor, I have been able to understand better and actually live that way better having stepped away from the church. Um, I feel like I'm a better human being. Um, so that's where we're at. And again, I don't, um, I don't want to hurt members of the church. Um, what I do ask, you don't, have a, you don't have to agree with me at all. You can very much disagree with me. But we need to do better at stop shaming people, stop making them feel less than, um, and that they some and, and the the worthy word. Um, quit calling people unworthy. Yeah, that's no different than what Chad did. Right. That's dehumanizing. It is. Um, I agree with that. I I. I'm always a proponent of you can understand someone without agreeing with them. Absolutely. And I think we all owe each other more Mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I really have a better idea of understanding you too today. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my story. Um, I appreciate you letting me express those things on your channel. Um, I'm really, um, I think a lot of people are wondering, I don't know if you know that, but, um, you know, those that don't follow the cases closely might not know who you are, mm-hmm. but those that are following it closely and have been, and, and there are quite a few of us, mm-hmm. I think they know who you are. And I think they've been curious, you know, your, your public Facebook posts have gotten out there, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, to those that are in my neighborhood, that are in my ward, I don't hold any animosity toward anyone. Um, I've done a lot of healing in that. Um, And I just want people to know that I am happy. I'm well. Um, I wasn't for a while, but I am now. We have lots to go. Things will happen. We'll have a lot of healing to, to do. But I am doing exactly... I am where I am. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm good. Matt and I are happy. I guess I want to say this too. You are a very loved person in the Rexburg area as someone that has and does 
communicate with many people in the Rexburg area as a journalist. Um, and people love to say who they know and they'll know you and they're LDS. Uh, they, those that know you've left, that's what I'm saying. I have talked to many of your friends. They adore you. They love you. Um, it speaks to who you are that, um, they get it. And I will say, I will say, I did have some, there's a cute girl in our ward that reaches out to me and she's just, she's a doll. And um, I did say to her, I don't post what I do to, um, to like point fingers or it's just to have people maybe stop and think a little bit. And, um, and I personally, again, I've, I've been pretty secluded for a while, but I personally have not been mistreated by anyone. Well, that's kind of you to say, because even I, after this interview, think you have. I'm like, yeah, you have. <laughs> but I think I under, yeah, I, I think people, I do like to think people are doing the best they can with what they know. But that's fair. I do like to think that about people. And um, I have not directly been mistreated by anyone. Again, my state president will can convey through my son, your mom's a great woman. I understand, you know, I've had nothing but kindness, um, but I am in a lot of groups and I do have a lot of friends that have left that that is not how they have been treated. How sad. That's why I post what I do. Um, there are some very devastating stories of people who have left, um, particularly in the LGBTQ community. I've seen the judgments of people online. I know that's real. It is very real. And I do think the reason I have been treated well is because people in my circle, they know me. I, I, I wouldn't leave if I didn't have a really good reason. And they know that. So, you know, and same with my son. They, they know my son. They know what a great kid he is. So there's more to this than just COVID hit. We didn't feel like going to church. Really, really deep. Um, lots of thought, lots of, it's, there's a lot to this. So I do know that there are people in Rexburg who, who might be struggling in the same way. And I, anyone can reach out to me that might need some support. Um, cause that's the place I'm in now. There are people who can be helpful and I'm grateful for the new friends that I've made that have been that support to me. And I'm in a place that I could be that support to someone else. So, um, not going to tell you to leave the church. I'm not going to tell you to we should or shouldn't do. Um, but I surely understand and can I give really good hugs. This is going back again, mm -hmm. but I, you told me a story and, and if we have a moment, I feel like it's an important one. Uh, I shared it on Mormon stories that you at this time, we're going through this terrible family tragedy, this absolute trauma. And you mentioned that the church wasn't bringing it up. I don't even know the exact timing, but it was right when everything was happening with Chad. I don't know if it was before or after the children were found, but Rexburg was receiving visit a visit from two apostles. It was um, Dieter Uchtdorf who came. It was a regional meeting for stake presidents, anyone in stake and bishops as well. So Relief Society presidents, bishops, um, 
relief society, stake relief society, stake presidents. I've tried to remember. It seems to me that it was before kids were found. Maybe Lori was arrested. I don't remember for sure. And all of my notes and things that I took from that, I've thrown away. <laughs> so I can't tell you for sure. Um, but my, because Uchtdorf, um, one of the 12 apostles was my very favorite. I connected with him the most. I, I loved his talks. So I was certain that one of his reasons in coming to our area was to address this issue. And I even, I didn't say anything, but I even thought, you know what, maybe my state president will hook me up and I can talk to him for a minute. Yeah. You're going through this absolute trauma. You're, you're trying hard to breathe. You know, you need something. Yeah. You're looking for a lifeline. Anything. Yeah. Um, an acknowledgement of what's happening in, not just to me, but this whole community. This was devastating for the community. I've received letters from people yeah. saying that they hoped yeah. that he would come forward. So when he started his talk, it was the same old talk about missionary work. It was about missionary work. And I even, so he opened it up to questions and answers. Um, we, and, you know, someone could get up and ask a question. Some woman in there asked the question about um, women in the priesthood. And I don't remember the exact question, but it was referencing, you know, how should women feel about, you know, women in the priesthood? It was that kind of question. <laughs> and he did what they so often do is he referred it out. He said, bishops, anyone want to answer that? You didn't answer it. Someone said something, this, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm a state relief state president. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a comment, so I can directly talk to him. He can see me because you had to introduce yourself. So I stood up and said, "I'm Heather Daybell, Stake Relief Society president in the Henry's Fork Stake," and I proceeded to give my opinion. And and oh, I hate what I said. It. I hate what I said. I basically thanked the brethren for kind of redirecting things and that women have authority, priesthood authority in their callings that's given to them through, you know, the stake president or whatever. I'm so grateful to the brethren for clarifying that. Hated that answer. But I wanted him to see me. I wanted him to... <laughs> I'm sitting right here. Everyone in that room knew who Chad Daybell was. When I stood up and said, I'm Heather Daybell, they knew who I was. Yes. So the meeting ends. We all stand up as he walks away. And they did say he's going to visit one ward while he's here tomorrow. I thought for sure, our ward, for sure. No, he visited Plano Ward out in the country visited a different ward and then i saw later a picture of him with our state president and his wife and i i remember and matt says i remember you saying this heather when i got home from that meeting i was so deflated and i said matt he didn't say anything i didn't i thought maybe i would be someone he would talk to nothing my state president got a picture with him. 
I didn't even, I didn't, nothing. I was so deflated. And at that time, still believing. And, but it was just one of those things like, why are they not addressing this? Right. Why are they not saying anything? As you've pointed out, Rexburg was grabbing hold. And, right. And Chad would say to me, Heather, they know what I'm doing. They know what I'm doing. And they don't say anything. So that was one of those things I think, gosh, if an apostle would have like come themselves and said, Chad, what, this you're off track or something. You know what? I actually think this was before the kids were found. I don't know if you agree, mm -hmm. but I think it was because I remember thinking if they said something, Ch Chad, tell us where the children are. Would he have listened? If he had, if they also, you know, for me, it, it does make me angry too because you know, when Elizabeth Smart went missing, she was from my neighborhood where I grew up. Um, and, you know, our church became the headquarters for daily press conferences. Oh. The lawn became the place to speak up and ask where Elizabeth was. And I know that her parents received blessings from apostles and prophets mm -hmm. of comfort. Here's Tylee, same age, mm -hmm. a couple years older. Elizabeth was 14 when she went missing. Here's Tylee, 16. Mm -hmm. Tylee is a member mm -hmm. of a church. Like, where are the shepherds watching the sheep? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, she's if she is our flock, like, there's no she excuse. Young woman. She was in the young women's program. She was. She went every week. Mm -hmm. She was devout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nothing. Right. Nothing. So that's when I... You know, and, and again, with everything that happened with the local leaders and just the no, not, you know, not being believed. And I just thought, you know what, I don't, I don't think this discernment thing is real. And I, it really made me feel like they really just don't care. They, their public relations and how they appear to the world is more important to them than at least how our family was doing yeah, and our community was doing. Yeah. Clearly there were people moving to Rexburg for him. Mm -hmm. Does this belief system of his or part of his belief system or, or whatever it is, I don't even know how you define it. Is it a cold? Is it a belief system? Is it a religion? I don't even know. Um, is that still alive and well in Rexburg? Um, for me to be able to live there, I tell myself no. Um, but there is a man um, on social media, and I can't think of his name. She, he was talked about in your interview with Suzanne. No, she didn't. She didn't use her name. She had been with a vow. She fired. Um, oh, um, I know who you're talking about, um, Anna. Yes, she talked about him. Um, I don't know him personally, but he did make some claim on social media that he was taking Chad's place. Oh, Joel Gervine? Yes. That's the only thing I've heard as far as like Chad's particular stuff. Um, but then I have been told that this Church of the Firstborn, which is what Chad called it, that, you know, the LDS mainstream LDS church was kind of a catalyst to the Church of the Firstborn. And that Chad, I mean, it's on, it's online if you look at the patriarchal blessing that he gave alex cox mm -hmm. he 
you know, he's used saying he has authority as you the know, church of the firstborn. Church of the firstborn. It's real. Um, yeah. I have been told that that whatever that means, I don't know what all that entails. This church sure. of the firstborn, but that it's in you know Arizona, Utah, Idaho, Oklahoma. That it's far-reaching, and that is one thing I have been told is that when they say you guys know this much and there's this much part of that is in regards to how many people are in this belief system now chad being the leader of that i don't know i don't know i don't yeah you don't know if right it's other people i don't have any idea and the julie rowe phenomenon in rexburg and you mentioned you had friends that were like oh you should read this do you are they still into her or has she lost some clout? I would, I'd like to think, and this is what Matt will say too, is that once those kids were found, I think for any, you know, most people that gave any of that the time of day could see, oh, this was really bad and okay. stepped away. But again, I don't, I don't even, don't even I'm not even in the LDS circles. So I don't know. I don't know how many believed in this stuff. I don't know how many continue to believe in this stuff. Um, one problem that the church will always have mainstream church is that when you claim personal revelation, just like Joseph Smith did, that God came to him and you can create a church out of that. Look at the FLDS, Warren Jeffs, look at, you know, the AUB, look at the Kingston group. They're all just people saying, no, I got revelation that I should be, it's exactly what Chad did, that there are hundreds of offshoots of right. the LDS church. So it will continue, um, especially when you're someone who does learn about the original teachings of Joseph Smith and polygamy and all those things. Like, for instance, the FLDS church is way closer to what Joseph Smith restored than what the mainstream LDS church is today. It, it's morphed into something that's it's not the same. And so when people find that out and you kind of wake up to, you know, we, I was always taught the polygamous people were weirdos and, you know, look down on them and how dare they. They're actually following what Joseph Smith did much, much closer than the mainstream LDS church. So I, my perception of all of that has completely changed. And there's some really good um, YouTube channels growing up in polygamy. There's some, that one's interesting because Sam, the husband, was raised FLDS, left around 18, um, joined the LDS church, marries his wife, Melissa, and they have both left the mainstream LDS church. So they're interesting to listen to. There's, you know, a girl that left the Kingston group. There's just, when I, I hear all these different perspectives, all offshoots of Joseph Smith, that's where I say, you shall know them by their fruits. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of, with polygamy, and there's been a lot going on. I want to throw out, too, for those interested, uh, two interviews that we've done that I think are important to this. Uh, Dr. Christine uh, her story of meeting an abuser who mm -hmm. thought, uh, convinced her he was a prophet of sorts. 
Um, and she does a lot of work now with the FLDS mm-hmm. church. And um, Anna LeBaron uh, is also on our channel. I have her book here. But her book is amazing. Her book yeah. is amazing. Um, those are two, I think, good examples of how that abuse. And I consider happens. that some of the research that I've done. When I'm reading those different experiences and those offshoots, mm-hmm. um, again, when they all go back, when Warren Jeffs goes back to, well, this is, I'm doing what Joseph Smith did. And I'm, it, I'm sorry. I just, I know that the mainstream LDS church, they do a lot of good things. We've seen, you know, we participated as church service missionaries. We've seen work that's done. Um, that's a vi, you know, it's, yeah. they, I, I won't deny that. Um, but, and this is one thing that Matt and I don't agree on is the massive amount of money that the church does have in comparison to what they do put into humanitarian efforts is silly. That's so much money. And there's so much more that could be done. And, and they've upped it a little, they've upped it because we all know now that they're a multi-billion dollar church. And so there's just, there's, they do good, but until they stop hurting the LGBTQ community and they stop putting men above women, regardless of the words they say, they put men above women, they're hurting people. They've hurt me, they hurt my son. And, and I can't support that anymore. So if, you know, Chad was put in front of you one more time, or if you saw him one more time, what would you want to say to him? Um, that's a really good question because again, it's like I mentioned earlier, some things have changed for me now that I have a broader understanding. Um, I still would cuss a storm at him. I have all kinds of things I call him. Um, but one thing I would say is that and I do believe this, that, that Chad learned because he was a big reader in history and he knew that stuff. Um, in his mind, I think he, he took it in a direction that he thought he was saving something that had gone awry in the mainstream LDS church. Kind of the same things I discovered. In his line of thinking, he was going to be a leader of making, you know, making it better and creating something that would bring in Jesus's coming or whatever, where I, it was something that I just concluded this was none of this was true. So I'm done. I can give him that grace that I don't know what that did to him. I know it devastated me. I don't know what that did to him. It, it messes with you when everything you've based everything on your entire life, your identity, your eternal life, when you put everything into a church like that and then discover the things that I discovered, it throws you into a tailspin because that was your identity. That was, you had all the answers and then you don't. So that's the only grace that I can give him 
that in his mind, he needed to become a leader of something new and get it all on track. Otherwise, I, I've envisioned it a lot of times. I'd just punch him in the face. Say, you sorry son of a bitch. Do you know how many people you've hurt? You know, you've destroyed lives. It would be energy wasted because I don't think he thinks he has. I don't think he thinks he has. Still in, uh, still locked up, leaving. I hope that in the very most inner part of his brain, that's Chad, the Chad that Matt grew up with, the brother that he loved, that he has somewhere tucked away in there. Yeah, I really screwed this up. I hurt a lot of people. I, I, Tammy's not here anymore. I've hurt my children. I've hurt my grandchildren. I've hurt my mom and my dad. I hope there's somewhere in his brain that he has those thoughts, that there's something redeeming about him. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know.